You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Hey, good morning, Creekside. Good to see all of you. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. Uh, Another quick announcement there. If you're in middle school, we actually have a brand new middle school class starting today, first, second, and third Sundays of the month. So if you're in middle school, there's a class right down there. You can go to it right now, or you can stay and hear me talk. Either way is good with you, but just wanted to let you know that. Uh, Good to see you. You know, before we continue this vision series, one other quick announcement today. Uh, We really want to love our neighbors well here at Creekside, and one way we do that is by parking in our lot, or on MacArthur out here, or on Dutton or Dowling, and not on these side residential streets back here. So this is your friendly once a year reminder, I think this is how often we do it, that I know it's hard to get parking because I preach too long and whatever, and that's, you know, especially second service people, I feel you, I know, I understand, but if you could park in the lot, on MacArthur, on Dowling, or on Dutton, not on the other residential streets, and really not to block anyone's driveway. That would be super helpful. All right, that's the end of the announcement. You know who you are. You know who this is relevant for. If this is your first time hearing it, hey, now you know. So we're good to go. So let's pray as we go to God's Word today. So, Father, we thank you for bringing us into your family, for sending Jesus to save us. And, Lord, thank you not just for giving us a new relationship with you, but a new relationship with each other. When we have you as a father, we have each other as family. And I I pray we'd seen a new way today, just the, the unbelievable grace you have given us by giving us brothers and sisters in you. Uh, Jesus, we need each other. You work through us. I pray we'd have a new appreciation for the people around us as a result of today. And uh, we pray it for your sake. Amen. Well, for the first time in almost a decade, my beloved warriors look bad. And I hope I'm wrong, but I think they're on the decline. Now, maybe it's because they're getting old. Maybe it's because they're just not that talented. But if you listen to all the talking heads, the word that keeps coming up is chemistry. Chemistry. Are they getting along? Is Kaminga happy? Does Clay want too much money? Is there, a, is there a generational divide on the team? How's therapy going for Draymond? Has Kerr lost control? And you might wonder, like, why does any of that matter? Why does it matter if these guys trust each other or like each other or play for each other? They're making millions of dollars. Who cares? Here's why. Uh, basketball, maybe more than any other sport, you actually have to work together. You actually have to have good relationships. You actually have to trust each other and play for each other. And if you don't, it's really hard to win. When things are off relationally, it's hard to accomplish the mission. Just ask Jordan Poole. Um, That was inside basketball for all you people who uh, you know. So, so at this point, you might be wondering, you know, Jeff, I'm tired of your sports analogies. In fact, my, my wife told me, like, really, Jeff, you're going to start the, the talk with another sports analogy. But this time, this time I have a reason, and it's a biblical reason, to give you a sports analogy. Uh, listen to what Paul says here to the church at Philippi as he describes their mission. 
Here's our mission as a church. He says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul is describing the mission of the church. Our mission, advance the gospel. Extend faith in the gospel so more people come to know Jesus and become like him. But notice how he describes that mission. It's not just something I do or something you do, it's something we do. In fact, to do it at all, we have to be of one what? One mind, aligned, in agreement. And we strive side by side. That Greek word translated strive side by side, it's one Greek word, soon athleo. Athleo, from which we get athletes. See, I told you, I had a biblical reason. <laughs> the, the image here is not just of us struggling or competing in a competition, but us striving together, working together as a team to advance the mission. And Paul's assumption here is this, that making disciples is a team sport. So if I wanna see people come to know Jesus and grow in Jesus and go with Jesus, I have to play on the team and we have to work well together. We're in a vision series, just spending four weeks looking at the mission of the church and the mission of Creekside, the mission of any church is what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Jesus gives the church its mission and he says what? Make disciples. Make disciples. That is our goal as a church. That is the goal of any church. And as we saw last week, it's not just the goal of the church as an institution, it's my mission. It's your mission, it's our mission individually. We exist to see people come to know Jesus. And why is it my personal mission? Here's why. Because if I am following Jesus, that's what a disciple is, a follower of Jesus, I'm going to imitate Jesus. I'm going to become like Jesus, and if I'm becoming like Jesus because I'm his disciple, I'm going to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus spend his earthly ministry doing? Making disciples. <laughs> so you cannot separate being a disciple from making disciples because if I am a disciple, I will inevitably begin to make disciples. That's why we exist as a church. We talked about this last week. We talked about why the gospel has to empower us, why the good news of what Jesus has done. That's where we get our power. That's where we get our purpose. That's where we experience Christ's presence is out on the mission. Yet, even if you were here last week, even if you heard all of that, it can still feel overwhelming, can't it? This is daunting, and perhaps the question you're asking, you know, is how am I supposed to go out how am I supposed to find people and reach them for Jesus and then, you know, somehow convince them to believe in Jesus and build them in the faith and, and, and send them to go make more disciples? That, that sounds really overwhelming for me to do. Here's what I want you to see today. Jesus never intended for you to do it alone. In fact, we can't do it alone. That's why he put us on a team. And it's very important to understand what kind of team the church is. See, the church is not a track team. If you've been on a track team, you all wear the same uniform, you all have the same school, but you've got individual events. And the team wins if everyone does well as individuals, right? It's just about your individual performance. We're not a track team, we're a basketball team. 
We always have to work together. We defend together. We're on offense together. We're always interconnected, working together. And so the strength of our relationships largely determines the effectiveness of our mission. We have to do it together. That's the way God designed it. It's a team sport. And that gives us a different motivation for pursuing Christian community, doesn't it? Why should we live in close-knit relationships with each other? Is it because we need a support network? Well, we do. We do need that. Is it because we don't want to be lonely? No, I mean, loneliness is bad. We need community. Is it because we need friends? I mean, some of you need friends. Some of you have friends. What is the reason? Here's a new motivation. If I want to accomplish the mission Jesus has given me, I actually need you. We've got to do it together, and God set it up that way. And this gets to the issue of where we make disciples. Where do we make disciples? Together. So that's where we're going today. Three things I want to talk about, and these have to do with our mission as a church. We talked about this last week. Remember, I never tell you our mission statement as a church. I told you it last week. Remember what it is? We exist to win people to Christ so they come to know Jesus, right? We exist to build people in the faith. That means they're becoming like Jesus. And then we exist to send people with Christ to go make more disciples. So we win, we build, we send. That's why we exist as a church. Here's what I want you to see. If you want to do any of those, you've got to have relationships with other Christians. You've got to do them together. Okay, so that's where we're going. You guys all good? Good, all right. Sometimes first service is a little more attentive than you. I just got to be honest. All right, we're good. Okay, good. I'm just, excel still more, all right, yeah. I know a lot of parents, you're tired. It's cool, man. I'm tired too. All right, winning. First point, it takes a church to win people to Jesus. Think about the people in your life who are yet to believe, who haven't yet crossed the line of faith. Do you want to see them do that? Do you want to see that person come to know Jesus for the first time? Man, if you are a believer in Jesus, that's what you want more than anything else, isn't it? How is it going to happen? Well, if I want to see that happen, Scripture says I actually have to form deep relationships with other believers. How do those two things connect? Listen to what Jesus says in John 13. He says to his disciples this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so also are you to love one another. By this, your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A while back, I was speaking at an event and I was talking about reaching people for Jesus and the mission of the church and making disciples. And this guy comes up to me afterwards and he says, Jeff, I agree. That's what the Bible says. Uh, I want to tell my coworkers and friends about Jesus. Here's my problem. It feels like we are worlds apart. And, and here's my challenge. Like, I feel like they live in a different world. They don't seem interested in spiritual things. I don't know if they want to have spiritual conversations. I don't even know where to start. Have you ever felt that? Yeah, I think we've all felt that. And here's the disconnect he was feeling, and I think it's something that we often feel as Christians. It's this. If you've walked with Jesus for a while, you want to tell other people about him, but it feels like you're living in a different world. And for many Christians, I think here's the struggle. You have all of this Christian community over here, and that's your church world. 
And then you have this sphere of influence in your network and your neighborhood and, and needs, and we'll call that the world world because I can't think of a better term. So you've got church world over here, world world over here, and these two worlds don't intersect. And so the great challenge in mission is you feel like you have to be a, a bridge between the two worlds. So I, I drew a, just a tremendous diagram to illustrate this. See? Yeah, yeah just, just stand back and just, right? Um, but, but here's what we feel. Like, man, if I'm going to reach people for Jesus, I kind of have to go leave my church world and relationships, go out into work world or world world, find these people, and bring them back over here into my church relationships. Now, does that feel scary? Yes. Yeah. It feels very lonely. Uh, that's a very overwhelming feeling to think that I am solely responsible to do that. Sometimes Christians talk like that. Right? We say, like, remember, you might be the only Bible someone ever reads. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, I hope they just read the Bible, right? Like, they're missing a lot if they just look at me. Like, just go read the Bible, seriously. But, but it puts all of the pressure on you to go be the representative of Jesus. Is that the way Jesus set it up? No. No, you can't do it alone. Look at this text. And now think about it. John 13 through 17, Jesus is preparing his disciples for their mission. Their mission to go make disciples. And he doesn't start with a bunch of how-tos or, or here's how to reach people. What does he start with? Look at the passage. A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. That's the first thing he says. Jesus says, love one another, and he says it's a new commandment. Now, What's the question we are going to ask? How is that a new commandment? Love one another? Like, that sounds pretty basic, Jesus. They'd never heard this before? What's new about this commandment? Well, look at the second part of the verse. It's not just love one another. It's love one another as I have loved you. Here's what's new about that commandment for believers. First, Jesus gives us a new standard for love. Who does our love look like? Jesus. That's the standard of love in the Christian community. What does Jesus' love looks like? Uh, he descends from the loftiest position imaginable to the lowliest position imaginable and serves others at great personal cost. That's Jesus' love. And, and that's the love we are called to display. Jesus sets the standard for our love. And that's very important to get right at the beginning because the world cannot set the standard for our love. You know why? The world's standard will always be too low. Jesus gives us the standard. That's how we love, sacrificially, at great personal cost for each other. So he gives us a new standard. Here's the good news. Jesus gives us a new source of power to love that way. Love as I have loved you. That means love like Jesus, but it also means love others because Jesus has loved you that way. That's the motivation. I love you because Jesus loves me. And even right now, he loves me perfectly. That's a different motivation, isn't it? I, I don't love you because you're lovable. Don't get me wrong, I like you. I really do. But even if you were unlikable, it wouldn't matter. Because I don't love in response to you, I love in response to who? Jesus and how he loves me. And he loves me perfectly, and he tells me to love you, and he gives me the power, and because of that, I love you. So, what is the new reality for God's covenant people? Love like Jesus loves us, love because Jesus loves us. Does that make sense? 
That's it. Now the question is, what does any of that have to do with the mission of the church? What does this have to do with winning people to Jesus? Well, look at verse 35. By this, your Christ-shaped love for one another, all people, the world will know what? That you are my disciples. How is the love of Jesus made visible to the world? When I love you with Christ's love and you love me with Christ's love. That's how the world gets to see Christ's love, seeing it embodied through us. See, that's why Jesus lives in me is to love you through me and you lives in you to love me through you. And in that way, the love of the invisible God is made visible. John says it this way in 1 John 4:12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That word perfected means brought to completion, brought to its intended purpose. So you know what John's saying here? He's saying that when God loves us, his goal in loving us isn't just to love us. It's to love through us. And so ultimately, the love of Christ in me is to be displayed through me to who? To you. And as that happens, the love of God is made visible so that people can see the love of the God they cannot see. Does that make sense? So our community makes God's love tangible and visible, and we can't muster this up. It's just a supernatural thing Jesus does as we love each other. And it makes God's love believable so that they will come to believe. What does Jesus say in John 17? Here's his prayer, and and amazingly, he's praying for us here. He says this to his father, I pray that they, that's us, the church, would all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that what? The world may believe that you have sent me. Through our love, our unity, our alignment, the world comes to believe that the Father sent the Son to die for the sins of the world, that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. People need a framework to understand the love of Jesus. They need to hear the gospel message, but they also need to see the love of Jesus enacted in his people and made visible. And we all know there's a difference between show and tell, right? Think about it this way. Uh, Imagine you're talking to someone who's never seen Yosemite before, okay? Describe Yosemite. Okay, good luck, (laughs) right? One of my favorite online reviews of all time, someone gave a one-star review of Yosemite. And they said, what's the big deal? It's just a bunch of rocks. It's just a bunch of rocks. Now, I'm willing to bet that your first time seeing Yosemite, and if you haven't seen it, you should, when you're going on Highway 41 through the Bulwona Tunnel and you come down into Yosemite Valley, you didn't say, it's just a bunch of rocks. I've seen rocks, right? That's not what you said. No, but you had to see it to experience it. And here's the point. Jesus wants to tell the world of his love. He wants them to have a visual representation of his love in the world so they have a framework to understand it. 
Christ is the most glorious, the most excellent, the most beautiful. We want people to see that, right? We want them to see that. What do people know of Christ? You know, the online reviews, that's what they hear about Jesus. They, they hear whatever about the church or this meme or this news media thing or this whatever. They don't know Jesus. But when they get close to Christian community and we love each other like Jesus loves us, they see a love they cannot explain. They see something, it's not just sociological, it's supernatural. It's Christ's own present at work. And that community is what draws people in to believe. So here's what's implicit in what Jesus says. This gets to the heart of point one, okay? If you want to reach people for Jesus, you got to merge your worlds. Yes, we have church world. Yes, we have world world. You've got to find in the Venn diagram (laughs) the place where these two worlds intersect. So my glorious diagram for this, right? It's not just you. It's us together striving side by side and finding how do we as a community, enfold people into the community we already have, right? As, as community groups, that's your place to start. Do you pray for each other's friends who are yet to believe? Do you know their names? Have you met them? Have you socialized with them? Have you dreamed of ways to bless them or serve them or reach them? Because I will tell you something, when those worlds start to merge together, Jesus does something uh, that, that we just cannot believe. It is just astounding, People get to see the love of Christ. So you don't have to do it alone. You know, I was talking to that guy right at the conference and he's all overwhelmed. How do I reach people for Jesus? And so the first question I asked him, I'm like, well, have anybody, has anybody in world world over here met church world? Have you, have you introduced the friend groups to each other? He goes, yeah, it was great. I had a birthday party and I invited my coworkers and, and then I invited my Christian friends and my coworkers loved it. And they said it was amazing. And they said, this is like the nicest people we've ever met. And they're so kind. And and how do you get a community like this? And we want to hang out again. And so we did. And we had this game night. And they were like, this is amazing. And I'm like, bro, you're already a missionary. You're doing great. Just keep doing that. It's not that complicated. It just takes some intentionality and some prayer to merge these worlds because it takes a community to see the love of Christ and come to believe it. Does that make sense? Merge your worlds, that's point one. Win people to Jesus, it takes a church. But that's just step one, right? Once people have been won to Jesus, they need to be built up in Jesus. They began the lifelong journey of growing to become like Jesus. And so here's the question, how do people become like Jesus? Well, if you've been at Creekside for like 10 minutes, you know the answer, right? Because we try to beat it into you all the time. Here you go. The Word. Get in the Word. Because God speaks through His Word. God works through His Word, and the Word does the work. And and so we say, you got to get in this. You got to read it. You got to repent. You got to believe. You got to obey. Yes. Non-negotiable. It is necessary for you to be in the Word. Here's the question. If all of us individually had awesome quiet times and never connected with each other, would we become like Jesus? The Bible's answer is no. We wouldn't. Here's why. Because God works through his word, but the word says he works through his word and through his people together to make us like Jesus. I'll prove it to you, okay? Here's here's my Bible passage. Ephesians 4, here's what Paul says. 
This might be the, the biggest description of growth. How do we become like Jesus? Here's what Paul says. That we do it by speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, who's that? Us. Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, that's a very complicated sentence. Here's the idea. Jesus is the head, we're the body. And the goal is that the body would be a perfect match for what? The head. So the the body is growing up to be like the head. and, And Paul says here, we all grow up together, which means growth is a group project. It's not just me becoming like Jesus, it's us becoming like Jesus. How does that happen as we speak the truth in love to one another? What does that mean to speak the truth in love? 